everyone, this is Craig Windle, the world-famous paranormal investigator and editor of the Spirit Focus podcast. I'm here at this abandoned stately home because of increasing reports of a spooky games console that has been terrorizing its players by bringing franchises back from the dead. Its survivors fear all manner of creepy phenomena, such as ghosts, vampires, and zombies. What twisted truth will we find within? Let's find out. Okay, so I'm in the entrance hall. Rumor has it that people have seen a ghoulish relic from the past running through here. Something inspired by those 90s era platformers. <gasps> What's that noise? That was me, I left the HD rumble on. A ghost Ghoul boy! Oh, it looks like we have a spirit here ready to communicate. Hello, spirit. What's your name? Oh, it's Andrew. And I know all about you, Craig Windle. That's a bit ominous. So what can you tell me about this ghoul boy? Ghoul boy is a retro platformer. Um, it has a really strong... 8-bit aesthetic to it, although it plays much more like a 16-bit platformer. I uh, know I'm getting really technical there, so maybe just forget about it, but if you imagine a platformer from the 90s, that what that's what Ghoul Boy really plays like. In Ghoul Boy, you do play as the titular Ghoul Boy, who is the son of a famous warrior who is destined to save the land from the Goblin King. That's what you do in the game. Um, the Goblin King has erroneously gotten the impression that Ghoul Boy's father is the one who is going to defeat the king and save the land, but it's actually Ghoul Boy who's going to do it, and in the process of saving your father, you accidentally fulfill the prophecy. It's not a particularly uh, groundbreaking story. It's pretty obvious how things are going to turn out from the outset, but it's serviceable for a platformer, and it's typical of the platformers that Ghoul Boy is imitating. But Ghoul Boy's one real hook is spear-throwing. Over the course of the game, you, you can loot spears from enemies, and you can also buy them from shops that appear in the levels, and Ghoul Boy can throw these spears, and if they impact against walls, you can actually stand on them like platforms, and there are a number of puzzles and a number of areas you have to navigate using this system. That is its main claim to fame. It also has this really strange double jumping system, and it didn't quite click with me until I figured this out. And being a retro platformer, this game does not have a tutorial. It does not explain these things to you. But you can do two jumps, regardless of where you're at. So if you jump from the ground, that's your first jump, and then you can do a second jump. Or if you walk off a cliff, you can then do a, se a first jump, followed by a second jump. Whereas most of the time when people play a platformer that lets you double jump, they expect once you're midair, you jump, that's your second jump. Not so much in Ghoul Boy. Until I figured this out, some of the things that you have to do in Ghoul Boy didn't feel possible. But once I did, I, I breezed through the game with little difficulty. But there are still one or two sections that require very precision jumping using these spear platforms and using the double jumping and these do cause sudden and mountainous difficulty spikes where I, I was suddenly stonewalled for up to a half an hour on just one small section of a level. And there are your requisite pattern-based bosses against various gothic horrors. You just learn their patterns, and they're not all that difficult to get past up to and including the final boss. And this was a good choice for 
retro platformer fans the next time it's on sale for a buck. I think it normally is like $10, but I've been seeing it on sale a lot lately, and I was just looking for a good Halloween-themed game I could get through in, a, in an afternoon, and it served that purpose admirably. I, I did enjoy Ghoul Boy. I do recommend it when it's on sale. Mmm, interesting. Although it poses as an ancient game, it was reanimated on Switch only recently. I guess I'll move on to the living room, where the previous residents would often experience evil. Are there any spirits that could shed some light on this? Do you know what happens to people who make lame puns when they reach our side? Mm, probably nothing. Everyone loves puns. They're forced to crawl across a burning desert with every pun they've ever made hung around their neck. Well, that's not true, is it? Oh, it's absolutely true. Each pun weighs exactly one ton. Isn't that a pun? It's more of a playful rhyme. I still think you're making that up. Why don't you cross over and find out? How about instead you tell me about the horrors of the room's evil former residents? Well, I guess the denizens of this room have been the Resident Evil Triple Pack, which is a game that I've really been looking forward to play. It includes Resident Evil 4, legendary game Resident Evil 5, uh, legendarily disappointing follow-up, and Resident Evil 6, which is better than you've heard it is. Uh, Resident Evil 4 is the legend. I don't need to talk much about this game. Its reputation precedes itself. It was incredible in 2005, and it's still incredible today. Uh, this is where the series started to modernize itself, and it's also where it started to lose its focus, because uh, all the previous Resident Evil games were really focused on the Raccoon City incident and focused on, you know, zombies formed from uh, this virus that the Umbrella Corporation had been working on. Resident Evil 4 really stepped away from that. Um, it's about alien parasites that control people and form them into this hive mind that led to that really famous e3 trailer where leon wanders into this town of villagers and they all turn on him at once and he has to go inside a building and he pushes furniture in front of the doors and and one of the villagers with a chainsaw comes out and chainsaws down the door so he has to jump out the window and he just gets completely mauled by just dozens of enemies at once and that was a really impressive way to introduce the game back when it was about to come out, and and that is what the first level is, and it is still, and it is still one of the most exciting introductory levels in any video game. Like, it, it's a can't miss experience if you consider yourself a video game connoisseur or whatever, or a, a video game pretension you know, that you have towards, you know, video games are great and I want to be a part of them. Resident Evil 4 is required playing. You cannot miss this game. Now, weirdly, while Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 6 in this triple pack do support motion controls, RE4 does not, which uh, some of the ghosts here on the podcast were really looking forward to playing Resident Evil 4, with motion controls because the Resident Evil 4 Wii edition was like an amazing port of the game. It was impossible to believe that Resident Evil 4 was not designed with the Wii controller in mind because it just it worked so well. But those motion controls are not in this game and I, I gotta have 
I can only assume it has something to do with the HD porting process because Resident Evil 5 and 6 have it. Resident Evil 4 doesn't. It's, it's a baffling and disappointing omission, but it is what it is. But then Resident Evil 5. Resident Evil 5 had big shoes to fill in Resident Evil 4. It was the first Resident Evil on a high-definition console, and it was the first game after Resident Evil 4. Uh, really took the Resident Evil series, and I would say made it mainstream, and also made it an action shooter game, not just a, a puzzle-solving uh, survival horror game. And it has a lot of problems. Uh, it's about Chris going to Africa and per in pursuit of these new bioweapons, because that's that's kind of what happened after Resident Evil 4, is all these bioweapons have gone international, and they've also gotten in the hands of terrorists. So you, you, you spend most of the game playing as Chris. He's now part of the DSAA, and he's trying to track down these bioweapons. And he gets wrapped up in a plot by Wesker, the series villain, and this was Wesker's final game. He is the big bad. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that this is the game where Wesker dies. So this really felt like not just a successor to Resident Evil 4, but it actually felt like the finale and the conclusion to the, this plot thread that has been going on since the very first Resident Evil game with uh, the stars team, especially Chris, versus their treacherous commander uh, albert wesker and it, this game just it, it really let itself down because wesker is uh he, he's a comic book supervillain in this he he's a, a cackling cackling lunatic who just wants to turn everybody in the world into worm monsters because he's a bad guy and that's just what he does uh it, it's a disappointing plot it's not terribly interesting and as far as the game itself, it feels like it's Resident Evil 4 with high-definition graphics. And the problem with this is it feels primitive. And I, I don't know how you can say that Resident Evil 5 feels primitive and Resident Evil 4 still feels amazing. It may well be that for the kids out there, and I know that there are a lot of kids who listen to this podcast, um, they may play Resident Evil 4 and... They may prefer Resident Evil 5. That's perfectly fair. But coming at it from the perspective that I am at, where Resident Evil 4 came first, and Resident Evil 4 was a really groundbreaking game for me, then I played Resident Evil 5, and it just felt really bleh. It felt like a lot more of the same. And especially with all the games that came out between Resident Evil 4 and 5, especially I'm talking like Gears of War, Looking at what happened to third-person shooters after Resident Evil 4 made them mainstream, Resident Evil 5 just was not what it could have been. It just it felt like more Resident Evil 4 and not as good, not as interesting. Uh, there is one change to it I, I do kind of dig is there's a revamped inventory system. In Resident Evil 4, Leon has this giant attache case that just carries a ridiculous number of things and yet it's completely invisible on him you never see him carrying it it's just this inventory system that they just bootstrapped onto the game in resident evil 5 chris and his partner shiva they have nine inventory slots and that's all they have so you really have to pick and choose what you're going to carry and you will likely come across something that you're not going to be able to pick up uh <laughs> And if you find something on the ground that you really like, you're, you might end up having to drop something else in order to pick it up. And there's a bank between missions where you can just 
drop items that you don't want or items that you want to maybe save for later, especially healing items. But for the most part, it, this is a mostly on-site procurement game. Like, if you find something that you like, you're going to have to make some space for it, and you're going to have to make some hard decisions. So that actually does step Resident Evil 5 a little bit closer towards survival horror, whereas Resident Evil 4... There was limited inventory space, but really there was nothing you couldn't pick up if you were playing intelligently. Now, Resident Evil 5's big claim to fame, and I, I think this is really where the where the division in this game's reception comes from, is how you play it cooperatively. This is game built entirely around co-op play. You can play the entire uh, game co-op with another person. You can play it online, or you can play it split-screen with a friend on the couch, and... I really do believe that people who love this game played it co-op with a friend and people who are just like, eh, the, including me, <laughs> they played it by themselves uh, because your partner character when controlled by the AI is just not terribly intelligent. Um, and if they die, then it is a game over for you. So you're reliant on the AI to stay out of trouble, which it isn't always very good at. Here's the trick, um, because the AI does love to waste a lot of ammunition. Uh, but if you are going to play this game solo, which could be a likely case, um, since this is on the Switch, so uh, you're, you're probably going to be playing it portably at some point, away from an internet connection, and I don't see anybody playing this game uh, split-screen on the Switch. Um, give Shiva, uh, your partner character, uh, whoever they are at the time, the stun rod item and just save all the ammunition for yourself. Uh, they are perfectly capable of defending themselves with the stun rod and taking care of themselves with the stun rod. And they can even take some of the heat off you. And they don't waste all that ammunition and you end up with more ammunition because you're not having to split it with this idiotic AI partner. That's my advice to you if you're really struggling to get through this game. Give your partner a stun rod and then forget that they even have a gun. Now this is a deluxe release of Resident Evil 5. It includes all of RE5's DLC, including two smaller campaigns featuring the return of Jill Valentine, as well as a slew of cooperative and competitive multiplayer modes. I don't think it's quite deathmatch, but there are modes where you can shoot other players online on the opposing team, and it's just a cool it's a cool little thing. Um, it's not nearly as interesting as the mercenaries mode in Resident Evil 4, which I did not describe because I assume people would know what it is. <laughs> but uh, if you can kill large groups of enemies effectively, you can build up a score multiplier and earn a number of points, which you can then spend on goodies. So <laughs> it, it's a, a pretty interesting mode, and I, I've always enjoyed playing it in Resident Evil games, especially since it's been largely supplanted by the raid mode, uh, in Resident Evil Revelations, or uh, Resident Evil 7, and uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake didn't even have, like, mercenaries modes at all, so I miss them. And I'm glad to see them get a second life here on the Switch. But, uh, the biggest problem with Resident Evil 5 is I can never shake uncomfortable feelings when I'm playing this game, because uh, this is a game where most of the enemies you fight are African people infested with parasites, that turn them into bug-eyed, howling cannibals. Y you know, it it's a really problematic imagery it brings up. It These people that you're killing and who are trying to kill you, they are victims of 
the biological weapon wielding terrorists, but the things that they turn into leans pretty hard into some well-trod racist imagery, and it gets even worse in the middle portions of the game where you wander into these group of tribal Africans, which is straight out of an 1800s darkest Africa adventure story, and it doesn't really reflect what modern Africa actually looks like. And all of this is made even worse by Shiva, Chris's new partner, who is blatantly there to counterbalance these thematic problems, thus resulting in only putting a spotlight on them. Uh, it's... It's a really hard game for me to talk about. This game is probably racist, but you should go find a black voice to talk about that. And if you do feel uncomfortable playing this game, that's a good thing. It means you're self-aware, and you should really embrace these feelings. Don't deny them. And if these feelings are really bothering you, just don't play Resident Evil 5. You're not missing much. And while we're on the subject... Uh, Resident Evil 4's setting of a mythical rural Spain beset with poverty, superstition, and ru ruling feudal lords is likewise problematic, but not nearly to the extent of Resident Evil 5's setting. And now Resident Evil 6, which picks up following Resident Evil 5, and as I said, Resident Evil 5 really felt like a conclusion to the game's story, so Resident Evil 6 has to introduce a lot of new villains and a lot of new problems, and... The plot feels kind of random as a result, but it does bring a lot of the cast together. Uh, that's this game's big claim to fame, is there are actually four smaller campaigns instead of one big campaign, and each campaign stars a famous character from the series joined up with a new character. There's Leon has his own campaign, Chris has his own campaign, Sherry Birkin uh, has her own has her own campaign, and this was a big deal back when Resident Evil 6 came out because Sherry hadn't been seen since Resident Evil 2 in the late 90s. Uh, here she is as a young woman now, able to fend for herself, and she's she's uh, got a gun and she's kicking butt. It was uh, quite a different vision for Sherry. And then there's also Ada, who has her own campaign, also coming back from Resident Evil 2. So really, Resident Evil 6 is, is mostly a, a Resident Evil 2 sequel in terms of characters. And this game didn't get received very well when it came out. In fact, I think it was a bomb, because uh, I remember buying it not long after it came out for $10 at GameStop, uh, which is usually a sure sign that the game was just a bomb and nobody bought it, so they just had to clear stock out. But I, I think that's really too bad, because it's not as good as Resident Evil 4, certainly. But I do think this is a good game. It has really smart and dense combat systems. You can do a lot of really cool acrobatic tricks, and you can really interact with enemies in a lot of different ways. Like, there's a dedicated melee attack button now. It's no longer switching to your knife and using that when it's convenient. Like, there is actually... Melee attacks have their own button, and there's a whole melee combo system that you can do and when you have your gun out you can actually press the dodge button and throw yourself in all kinds of different directions you can throw yourself backwards if a zombie suddenly lunges at you or yeah zombies i'll just say zombies it's easiest it's easiest just to say zombies although there actually are a variety of enemies in resident evil 6 you can do these like these cool 
acrobatic movement systems, or you can just completely ignore them and just play this game like it's Resident Evil 4 or 5 all over again, and both ways work just as well. And, you know, all four campaigns have a partner character that you play with, so just like with Resident Evil 5, you can play this entire game cooperatively, although... Because you don't have to manage your partner's inventory in this game, and they do a much better job of taking care of themselves. Uh, this is a much more enjoyable game to play solo than Resident Evil 5. But it's sort of the middle ground of these these three games, I would say. But uh, if you skipped Resident Evil 6 because of the bad reviews, or you just weren't interested, I do recommend it. This is a much better game than its reception at the time gave it. Uh, not to say that it's perfect, it, it is a fun game to play, and I enjoy it. And if you dismissed it, you didn't like it, I say give it another chance. I think with some time between the release and the vitriolic reaction to it when it was launched, I think you might feel a little bit more positively towards this game. Give it another chance. Okay, so now we've moved upstairs, and we're in the master bedroom. There's... Oh, there's quite a musty smell. Sorry about that. Oh! Whoa, how did you do that? Do what? You made Mario noises. Well, we try to be, uh, Leopop friendly, so that's what happens when you curse around here. Well, usually, except when we forget. Oh, wow, let me try that. So, I... Are you a ghost, or, or what? Something like that. Sorry for scaring you. I usually stay away from multiplayer, so I don't have to deal with people like you. What? You mean, like, living people? Exactly. Oh. So, what's your name, then? It's Andy. What, like, short for Andrew? Yeah, why? Well, I was just talking to another spirit, and he was also called Andrew. Hey, he's American. I'm English, aside from our gender, our orientation... Race, educational and economic backgrounds, employment status, and aversion to multiplayer gaming, we're completely different people with beautiful, unique, and valuable opinions. Ah. Okay. So why do you linger in the mortal realm? I have unfinished business. Duh. And what, pray tell, is that? If you don't mind me asking, of course. Were you murdered? Wronged by someone still living? One last wanton pun before you switch sides to the land of the dead? Nah, I just couldn't finish all the RPGs released for Switch in 2019 in one lifetime. Literally impossible. What can you tell me about the chilling tragedies that have befallen this particular room? Well, I've been playing Zombieland Double Tap Road Trip in here, and let me tell you, it's shocking. Also, it's meant to be played multiplayer and I've been playing it solo, so some might say that's pretty tragic. Oh, uh, sure, but... I mean, that other guy, he already... He kind of already talked about some zombies. Los Ganados are not zombies! Look, man... Zombies is all I have. Do you want to hear about it or not? Uh, sure, whatever. Well, Zombieland Double Tap Road Trip is a twin-stick shooter uh, where you're fighting off against uh, zombie hordes. Uh, it's played from a top-down level, uh, playing as the four characters from the first film. Uh, it's set between the first film and, and the sequel, uh, also called Double Tap. Uh, but you start off with the original four characters, Tallahassee, Columbus, Wichita, and Little Rock. Uh, and you can unlock more as you play through. Uh, it is, you know, from 
everything about its setup. It's meant to be played with co-op. Uh, with it's got local co-op only. Uh, I played it on my own, uh, and it was fine. Uh, it runs at a slower pace than most twin stick shooters, but you you do have all the usual trappings here. You you you'll walk around these these levels. You'll pick up power ups that give you more damage or speed. Uh, the, you'll also pick up other weapons where the uh, ammo is limited. So I'm talking like shotguns or assault rifles that sort of thing and if you run out you'll you'll sort of switch back to your pistol which isn't very effective especially when the horde start pouring down on you in in large volumes it tries to keep things interesting with like different zombie classes so in the first level you're in a theme park so you get clowns that will throw things at you and the second level you get ninjas who can run quicker i don't know why they're called ninjas it's just zombies wearing tracksuits that allow them to run quicker for some reason. Uh, and all the while you'll get uh, monster closets which are sort of themed after the level uh, where zombies will just keep spawning out of them until you destroy them. Uh, in the first level, which is the theme park, you get their ticket booths and they seem to constantly spit out the, the clown zombies. In the second one there's a the whole plot point about one of the characters desperately needing the toilet. Uh, so it's poor to lose, you'll be destroying. While we're talking about toilets the toilet humor is sort of the level of the the writing of this particular game the humor is terrible like the whole level that, that centers around the character wanting to take a dump is just there's no joke there it's just poop is funny for some reason um and that also doesn't tie in very well with the portaloo monster closets because uh yeah like although the the original movie is a comedy and it's silly and and all that sort of stuff uh there's there's nothing like this in that uh which leads me to one of the what i think is the big problems of this game is that i think this was just a generic zombie twin stick shooter that had the license slapped on it laid on in development um that's not to say that you know the movie hasn't been applied at all like i say you play as the main characters uh they use the actors' images along with sound alikes. The the sound alikes are okay, I guess. They 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 don't really sound anything like the main characters. Maybe Tallahassee sounds a little bit like Woody Harrelson, but you can just tell it's not. And I I think from the performances, they're not really into the idea of this thing either. With that, uh, like the. There are also special moves that each character can do. None of those make sense in relation to the char- the characters from the movie. It's been a while since I've I've seen that film, so maybe I'm under I'm, I'm misappropriating how much the silliness plays a part. But in in this like Tallahassee just spins around in a circle, hitting the zombies for a generous amount of time. Uh, Columbus can slow down time. The other characters have have very different abilities, and it just it just doesn't really mesh. Uh, also, the only thing that they really get right from the the movies are the rules. So the tutorial uses the the same styling as the the rules from the the first film in particular. So like cardio is where they teach you how to move the character around, and double tap is where they teach you how to fire a gun. But like that itself doesn't make any sense because you're not actually doing any double tapping in this so yeah i 
haven't finished this game. Uh, each the levels are pretty short, and I just don't think I want to go back to it. It's just completely uninspired. It's dull. It's not funny in the slightest, which is you know, okay, we're like seven years later, like. At the time, that was a funny film. You would want a game based on it to be funny. Uh, if you want to play a twin-stick shooter, there are plenty of other good ones uh, on the Switch. Uh, but if you're desperate to play something zombie-themed, I'd recommend you look to PSN and try Dead Nation instead. It does a, a much better job of this same idea. So yeah, sadly, uh, not a great game. Uh, and I don't re- recommend anyone try it. Yeah, give it a miss. Well, I hope I never have to experience that told you okay we're moving on to the attic now where legends tell me of a vampire that lived here in the manor's loftiest rooms and would feast on his neighbor's blood on halloween vampire that's what i said mate vampire no vampire with a y why While almost every culture from all over the world describes a creature resembling a vampire, the classic vampire as we know it originates from Eastern European folklore, hence the etymology. Wait, you've already had your turn. You're going to talk some more? It seems like you're talking a lot more about video games than the other cursed folk around here. I have a limited social life. Sad. Also, chronic insomnia. Spirits can get insomnia? Hey, who's the spirit here? Me or you? Ah, sorry, sorry. Anyway... Vampire is from Don't Nod Entertainment, uh, who I think are most famous in the gaming space right now for Life is Strange and its prequel and its pseudo spinoff. I haven't played any of those. I really don't know what's up with them. Uh, But it's sort of like Mass Effect, but you're a vampire. And it's set during the Spanish flu outbreak of the late 1910s in England, uh, happening either just after or concurrently with World War I. You play as Dr. Jonathan Reed, a famous doctor and war veteran who has recently been turned into a vampire, and the goal of the game is to find out who turned you and get your revenge. Maybe? Because, you know, maybe along the way you find out that you don't mind being a vampire so much, or maybe somewhere along the way you find out that this thing that turned you into a vampire has its own problems. It's one of those games. Now, the game's real claim to fame is the social networking system. There are a number of different hubs that you spend some time in as Dr. Reed, and they all have their own people, their own they all have their own communities of people that he interacts with, and you talk with them, and you do errands with them, and in the process of going through all these dialogue trees and doing all these side quests, you reveal their secrets. And when you learn all of the characters' secrets, it makes them give more XP when you decide to eat them. This should lead to an interesting choice. Do I eat this person now for an immediate but smaller XP boost, or do I wait for later in the game after I've learned all of their secrets and I can get a bigger XP boost, but I will be at a lower level now? Problem with this system is the combat is not hard enough for this to ever feel necessary, even on the highest difficulty. I draw direct parallels to it with Bioshock, where you are supposed to have a risk-reward system where if you sacrifice the sisters, you get more of the currency early on in the game. It makes it easier to buy your skills. Or you can rescue the sisters and you get a smaller amount of the currency, but you get bigger rewards later in the game for having it, air quotes, harder at the start. But 
The problem with Bioshock is it was never hard enough for that system to really feel meaningful. It's the same thing in Vampyr. There's plenty of XPs earned through regular combat to keep you competitive with the local monsters, and Reed never suffers for not eating, even though he's a, va a vampire now, and he's told right at the start of the game, you are a vampire now, you need to eat people to be alive. The system would put more pressure on the player's decisions by requiring them to feed on Reed's friends and colleagues, but... I've been playing this entire game without feeding on anyone, and the intended punishment for doing this, harder combat and a weaker read, has never really felt meaningful, and I, I should note that I am playing on the hardest difficulty. The, the combat is simply not intricate enough, and the enemies are not strong enough or aggressive enough for it to really feel like it matters that I have not, you know, feasted on anybody so I can get those big XP boosts and I can buy those big skills. I don't need the big skills to kill these enemies, because basic dodging and stabbing with Reed's melee weapons has borne me out just fine. I still really dig this game just for its story and its setting. Again, it's from the people that don't nod, the Life is Strange people. They have a very well-earned pedigree for storytelling, and that definitely holds true for this. It's just the combat systems are not the strong half of the game, and there obviously is a lot more combat in this game than in a narrative game like Life is Strange. So, you know, play this game for the story, and don't worry about the combat. And of course, this is a Switch port of a, a recent PS4 release. It, it's actually from Saber Interactive, so they've had a big month for them with Ghostbusters at the beginning of the month, and of course, Switcher 3 mid-month, and then Vampire here at the end of the month. Big month for them. They've really proven what they can do, especially with Switcher 3 and Vampire, because these are two big, beautiful PS4 games that they got running on the Switch. And I, I would say this game doesn't look as good as, as Switcher 3 does. There is a number of characters I've talked to uh, that you can really tell how low res they are, especially Pippa the nurse, whose face looks like melted wax. <laughs> like it, it, you can tell that her texture like the, the texture on her face is supposed to pop in but it never does and it's really unsettling talking to this person who looks like a melted china doll and everybody else around her that you talk to has a passable resemblance of a face like it this is a full price game on the switch as well it just came out at the end of october for $50, and the week before that, I saw Vampire available on PS4 and Xbox One for $10. So unless it's absolutely imperative that you have it on Switch, like, the only way you'll finish this game is if you have it on Switch, maybe get it on PS4 or Xbox One instead. I think you might have a better experience there. Blood-curdling. Hey, wait, are you forgetting something? I don't think so. I'm imagining a haunted house, vacuum cleaners, and a protagonist with an inferiority complex. We don't like vacuum cleaners around here. Uh, a few decades back, we had this tall guy, real cowardly sort, just all in green. He kept shouting Mario and doing really inappropriate things to our furniture. He kidnapped a bunch of our friends and stole all our money with a vacuum cleaner. It's, it's a really sore subject. We don't like to talk about it. Maybe I'll tell you more about it next time we meet. Next time? Oh yes, you're here forever. Oh no! 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 Oh b
thanks for listening to this spooktacular episode of the Spirit Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can now buy us a coffee with details on our website. Thanks. This episode was edited by me, Craig Windle. And you can follow me on Twitter at CraigDCraig and at Windmills at Dawn. You can find our regular hosts on Twitter with Andy being at Toast, Andrew is at PlayCritically, and he is streaming at twitch.tv forward slash playcritically, and Ginny is at GinnyRose. Craig, Andy, Craig, Andy, Craig, Andy, Craig, sound effect, Andy, sound effect, Craig, Andy, Craig, Andy, Craig, Andy, Craig, Andy, Craig, Andy, Craig, Andy, Craig.